Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion episode for Fear Not, episode seven of season six of Supergirl. And surprisingly, our topic is fear, (gasps) which is actually quite fitting since that's kind of how we started the season (laughs) in the companion for 601 discussing Kara's face as she was sent to the Phantom Zone. Mm, Yeah. That moment of fear contrasting with her disposition for the rest of the episode and also Jean's fear of letting Magan into his mind. So it was cool to see it round out in this episode where we saw all of the fears of the different characters addressed, starting with Alex. Yeah. Alex was a clever choice to put first in the episode because hers is the one that you could really believe is real up until a certain point. (laughs) That's true. The vision that we got of Alex's big fear within this episode was cool in that it's building on Some of the stuff we talked about in our Alex in Wonderland podcast where we talked about Alex and personality theory and how that applies to her. So specifically like the Myers-Briggs type, which in Alex's case, she is a sensing dominant person. Mm. That's how she understands her inner self as opposed to how she like interacts with other people where that's kind of feeling dominant. Mm -hmm. But someone who's really introverted, sensing dominant, you figure yourself and your decisions out by relating to and relying on your previous experiences to guide your decisions going into the future. And her fear section was like full of (laughs) nods to decisions that she made in prior seasons of the show and visuals of key moments for the character. Mm -hmm. Super consistent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Very, very internally consistent, which was kind of fun in like a little bit of a terrible way because I commented on this when I was watching it that they were mean (laughs) when Jean mentions that they're hitting the turbulence because Alex is not (laughs) thrilled by this. And that's a nod to the pilot episode where we see Alex in a plane that's crashing. Mm -hmm. And this is before the actual fear vision starts. So playing on the fact that this is something that was such a big kind of traumatic moment for her. Mm -hmm. And generally, she's a character who stays firmly on the ground. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) As as the only person in 601 who was not flying around Lex in the fortress. That is a very good point. Yes. And also kind of figuratively, she tends to be very practical and very grounded. Mm -hmm. So. So then she and Jean have their argument, which starts out being part of reality before you see the big flash that indicates that we're in somebody's mind Mm -hmm. about who should go out of the ship to try to approach Kara. And once we get into the fear scenario, I was like so delighted, (laughs) which sounds messed up to say. Uh, But the scenario is she's going to check on what happened with the Phantom. Jean is there. And first, we see her in very typical Alex fashion, jump ready to protect Jean because the Phantom is like Mm. lurking behind him like a horror movie Mm. about to attack him. And she manages to get him out of the way and save him and then fend it off and get it back in the cage thing herself, except she gets injured in the process. And then in more typical Alex fashion, she says she's fine. Uh, (laughs) even when she's not yes and then we got to the part that made me laugh which maybe wasn't the right reaction for the moment (laughs) but it was so 
perfectly a callback to like two of my all-time favorite scenes for this character specifically because it's such Mm -hmm. defining moments of understanding who she is and how she thinks as a person. Mm -hmm. And it's the part where Jean is trying to say that she needs to stay in containment because she could put Kara's life and the mission in jeopardy. And she's like, no, I don't trust you. And she tricks him and locks Mm -hmm. him up instead. And it's a direct callback to when she did almost the exact same thing. Again, Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, her relying on her instincts and her past choices. In Human for a Day, which was episode seven, all the way back in season one, Mm -hmm. she is in a place where she's not super trusting of Jean. And she decides that instead of listening to him, she's going to leave him as bait for this alien that's attacking the DEO (laughs) and take it down on her own. (laughs) She literally chains him to the wall and lures the alien to attack him and leaves him there to die, basically. It's quite (laughs) ruthless of her. But the key thing about that is that it was not a scenario where her strategy was the winning one. And if Jean had not been a Martian and been able to actually get free and intervene when he did, she would have died. Right. And it's interesting that this fear vision evokes this other situation with Alex and Jean, because that is a situation that did not turn out well. But these different elements of Alex's, I guess, like personality or her methods Mm. (laughs) are things that she frequently falls back on in times of stress because she, on some level, trusts them. Yeah. But this fear vision evoking this other situation with Jean and the gem alien is challenging that belief. And this time around, (laughs) those methods don't work out for Alex, even with the help of her loved ones. Hmm. And this time, these decisions put Kara and everyone else in jeopardy. Well, some of that is because, like, in the example with Jem from season one, Alex did still go into that, like, with a fully formed plan. This because Mm -hmm. it's a fear and it's playing on just a psychological impulse. It's not really a plan, (laughs) you know, in any way. She gets injured in a way she didn't anticipate and then she's just kind of like reacting the way that you do when you are very driven by those deep impulsive emotions. And it's not until she really kind of takes control of it again and comes up with a plan that things start to kind of feel like they're moving back into a more normal Alex place. Yeah. Yeah. And the other element of like what I find interesting about these parallels with Alex in this fear dream, so things that she's done before, is the way that these things are so quintessentially Alex (laughs) decisions. And her fear, as expressed in this episode, is that she's the thing that's wrong. Yeah. Like she's making everything worse instead of better. Mm -hmm. So then these things that are very Alex-like rearing their head becomes dangerous. (laughs) And that tracks in terms of Alex as a character who has issues with her identity and specifically like accepting her identity and embracing who she is as like a person Mm, (laughs) who deserves things and deserves to have space in the world. But generally, for both of the Danvers sisters, the fears that they face in this episode are like the shadows of their strongest beliefs. (laughs) They're like the distorted mirror image of... The dark Kermit versions. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Because these past six episodes of season six have established 
the strengths, but also associated like hardships to the strongest beliefs that they have, as well as challenge them. For instance, like Kara's trust in people, like with Nixley, mm. and hope in general for her being in the Phantom Zone. And then Alex being like, what is my purpose now? Yeah. Because Alex's belief, as she says in this episode, is it has to be me. Just like she has to take down Lex Luthor. <laughs> Yes. She has to be responsible for her loved ones. And, you know, we've seen how that shows up in very negative ways in Alex's life, resulting in fears like, I'm not allowed to be happy because I have to be protecting my family. Or I'm not enough if she's failing in her mind to protect her family. But in this episode, the scarier thing is the idea that this belief, like it has to be me, I have to be responsible for my loved ones, that I am responsible for my loved ones. The idea that this belief is wrong. Yeah. And we see Alex like willing to leave Kara when she decides to sacrifice herself. You know, contrast that with her being very focused on earlier in the season, initially, the fact that she didn't have her sister. Like that was the first like, oh, what am I supposed to do without my sister here? And how do I cope? Until she had her big internal crisis where she's like also connected to Kara's experience in the Phantom Zone and how terrible that is. Mm. Oh, it actually, it also ties back to what she said in 604 when everybody was succumbing to the phantoms around her. And she said every bit of her wanted to give up and just focus on Kara, but she pushed past that. Mm. And here it's kind of the same lesson in a different way almost because she's so single-mindedly focused on I need to get to Kara I need to get to Kara until she realizes that that has actually become the thing that will prevent her from like ever getting to Kara. Right, right. That's a good point. But ultimately, she's willing to, you know, not be the person who gets to be there to give her a hug and says to Kelly, hug her for me. Yes. And when she says the goodbye to Kelly and asks her to give Kara the hug, she puts her hand on the glass, which was mean on two levels. (laughs) Um, Go on. (laughs) So the first one, this was the first one I thought of, was of her with Jean when Jean's in the containment cell in season one. Mm Mm-hmm. And he sacrificed himself for her. Mm. And now she's making that choice. But the other one was in season two when she's in the spaceship. Again, because she made maybe not the most thought out choice and acted Mm. independently. And she ended up in the spaceship and was potentially going to be like gone forever if Kara Mm. was not able to rescue her. And they have that moment where Alex is rooting Kara on from inside and their hands touch through the glass. So both of those were mean in the nicest way. Yeah. And kind of the mean cherry on the top of the sad cake. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Is... Kelly doesn't put her hand on the glass, too. Mm, Oh, true. And you see Alex's face right before she's about to be pulled through, kind of fall a little bit. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Wow, thanks. That was awful. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) And, you know, going back to this idea that for Alex, you know, the scariest thing is the idea that her belief that she's responsible for her loved ones is wrong. She says in this episode, I thought I was the one that was vital to rescuing Supergirl, but it's the opposite. It's interesting because here, not only is Alex not like enough, which is something that we know that she struggles with, like Mm. feeling like she's not enough for Eliza or for, you know, keeping the horrors of the world at bay, etc. But her very presence is 
harmful. It it is the opposite of what she thought. She is the thing that is making things worse. Mm. Yeah. And I said to you that that actually made me think a little bit of the Mind Wipe storyline from season four, Mm -hmm. because we heard Alex say in the flashback last episode in 606 that she had at various points in her life, even in this other version of reality, let this need to protect Kara consume her and become her whole life. And within the original timeline in season four, that reached a point like Alex had a balance in her life, you know, to an extent as an adult. But her need to really be so protective of Kara was so, so blatantly obvious that she ultimately ended up becoming the biggest threat to Kara's safety in that season because... Mm -hmm. There was no logical reason why Alex Danvers, the director of the DEO, would be that adamantly defensive about the random superhero. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but ultimately in this episode, Alex, her like drive and her belief in her role as protector ends up being so strong that she like finds a way to act anyway yes. <laughs> to help Kara <laughs> yep. by taking herself out of the equation entirely. Not the <laughs> best like... of solutions, but a solution. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And she says like, I'm not going to be the reason that Kara is trapped in here, which is like this declaration that she's just not accepting the premise of the fear dream. (laughs) Yeah. So it's interesting because she doesn't actually need to acknowledge that it's not real to feel comfortable with her decision. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like if this was reality, she would make that choice, like hands down. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense... That's her version of beating it, because I thought there were some people who said they seemed confused, like hers wasn't a win. But hers was a win in the sense that we saw her earlier this season at that low moment of being paralyzed by fear and indecision, which Mm. is so unlike her, and having Mm. no sense of what to do next. And here, much like in many other situations where it's very critical, she has a plan. Like, it's maybe (laughs) not an optimal plan, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, well, she makes the hard choice. Exactly. And she she makes the choice and she is someone who thinks strategically in that way all of the time. And much like Kara and Jean, she gets the idea that sometimes a sacrifice like that is the right move, even if it sucks. (laughs) Yeah. And so in her mind, she's like, "Okay, I am still doing my job, if you will. I am going to Mm. protect everyone. The only person I can impact in this world in reality right now is myself. So here is what I am going to do. And it is going to help everyone. And that's that's her conclusion. Yeah. So she she manages to sort of subvert what the vision is trying to convince her, like the fear that she she's ruined everything. She can't protect anyone. Yeah. (laughs) And that, in fact, she's making it worse. The decision that she makes makes things better. (laughs) Yeah. Like in her mind. So she wakes from the fear vision, pleased with her choice. Yeah. So that's Alex. <laughs> and then there's Kara. <laughs> yes. Kara, who does not have a like traditional fear vision the way that we saw with the other characters. No. But who is just like existing in her current situation and feeling a certain way about it. And before this moment, Kara, you know, in the Phantom Zone was coping pretty well. You know, she's like doing relatively okay, which is something that we talked about in past episodes, like being kind of interesting or notable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But here we see her hit a moment of crisis brought on by the effects of the phantom scratch. Yes. 
So hers is real. Alex's was not. Um, <laughs> and as Kara is really succumbing to the Phantom's visions and the, the cloud of just despair that comes with that, mm. Zorel says, you know, look, I made this. And he's talking about like a crutch to walk. And rather than him being like a burden and relying on her the way Nixley implied, he made a solution. Mm -hmm. So like her words sank in, number one. <laughs> and number two, it also made me think of Kara in the Black Mercy vision from season one, mm -hmm. where one of the things that sucks her in is she sees this sculpture that she made for her dad as a kid. Speaking of like vision scenarios. Yeah, yeah it just had that same kind of connection just because it's like him showing her something he made and her thinking back on a variation of something she did for him when she was younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Zorel's like, look, I made this. And Kara in The Black Mercy talks about that sculpture and says, I made it for my father. And I like that comparison in terms of this theme or idea that we've talked about on a recurring basis since the Why the World Needs Supergirl episode of like connecting the concept of hope to like art and, and the ability to see the beauty mm. or appreciate like the little things. And, and here we have the little things being this thing that Zorel made. And then for Kara in her past, the sculpture that she made. And I've used repeatedly the example of like the birds mm -hmm. in the season one flashback. Whereas Kara here with her literally cloudy vision cannot see it. She can't see the, the hope. Kind of like Alex earlier this season saying like, I don't see any path at all. Yeah. With regard to saving Kara. And as opposed to just moments before when Kara had had like a plan for survival that she was like actively working toward. And we've also talked about this concept that like hope is action and then seeing a path. And another thing, looking back at that scene that you brought up from season one from the girl who has everything, Kara says about the sculpture, I even remember getting upset that I couldn't get the wings right, mm. which is just evocative very, of Kara's like very Kara <laughs> yeah her tendency toward like trying to get things right and and specifically like fixing things mm. for Kara you know her world to use this analogy shattered and and in that same moment she was given this mission of like go to earth protect Kellel, become extraordinary so it's natural that she'd see that mission as the thing that could make it okay the thing that would like fix it <laughs> mm. Yeah. And, you know, obviously she has a disposition that we see even with like Red Daughter toward that kind of action and also her family and her culture fostered that quality within her. But it would make sense for that formative moment for her to have such an impact. And we see this thread going from Kara saying, like, I won't fail Kellel or you to her parents in the pilot to that energy in Midvale in season three, saying to Kenny's mother after Kenny had died and she was upset that they didn't have the telescope. I'll find it for you, Mrs. Lee. In this season, in episode five, in the flashback, young Kara says, I can fix this, I swear. <laughs> in season one, Kara says to Kat, you know, about Kat's relationship with Adam, I'm going to fix this, I promise. The entire 100th episode was Kara trying to <laughs> fix her relationship with Lena by like going through all these different scenarios. And, you know, that mindset even shapes her thinking in season three, where like she's like, I can't help people if I'm broken. And this mm, this yeah. thread of like things need to be whole <laughs> and trying to make them whole. But then in this episode, we have Kara say, I was naive and arrogant to think that I could ever actually fix anything. And, you know, Melissa does this like nice 
catch in her throat right after she says it. And there's a sense of that in particular affecting Kara, that thought. Because of its roots with the loss that Kara has experienced and, and this thing that she has brought forward in her life of trying to repair what was broken. Hmm. Yeah. And so that is her worst fear, <laughs> not like just being in the phantom zone alone, but the opposite of her strongest belief, which is, you know, of, of hope and, and of fixing things. And she says to Zorel in this episode, you know, that she pushed him to hope when there is none. <laughs> and then the like earth shakes <laughs> in this like nice, like foreboding moment. The paragon of hope <laughs> has given up hope. <laughs> I know that was rough. Yeah. And she remarks upon like, and even worse, like there's this idea that like her survival, her hope and her attempts to fix things that have made the world more broken comparable to Alex's struggle in this episode of I tried to protect my family, but I put them in danger, you know? Mm, yeah. They made things worse instead of the thing they were trying to do. And we've seen this fear pop up for Carr before with like feeling like she's a burden with the Danvers family. In season four, we saw her stress about Supergirl's role and whether or not that was actually making a positive impact. And now we see her say, and worse, my friends think that they can fix things, too. And they're just going to die because of it. And you actually thought mm -hmm. it was interesting in previous episodes that Kara hasn't actually outwardly entertained the possibility that her family might try to rescue her. And there are a lot of reasons that might make sense. Yeah. But it occurred to me that maybe she was, like, quietly afraid that they would. Mm, yeah. Because of what she says here about, like, they're going to die because they're trying to save her. And we also know that Kara hasn't been vocalizing her fears or her worries in the Phantom Zone with Zorel, which takes us to their relationship in this episode. In Lost Souls, we talked about how Zorel was a sort of failed stand-in or insufficient stand-in for Alex and the rest of Kara's family because Kara had to be like the strong one, the hopeful one. And that's kind of a mindset that we saw Kara have with Zorel specifically in the pilot episode with the I'm not afraid father and kind of trying mm -hmm. to comfort him in that way. Yeah. Here, Kara is literally like forced through this phantom scratch to sit with her fears and in the very place that she was sent to right after that conversation with her father, right after she told him that she wasn't afraid. Yeah. And it was really well done in terms of like Kara looking really small in these scenes in terms of Melissa's body language and also because of like David's directing and the camera work and mm -hmm seeing her from like above and farther away and then coming down and car is like tightly withdrawn inward which to me evokes young Kara yeah in the pod which is such a contrast with how much space that Kara can take up as Supergirl or even like reporter Kara. Maybe not so much Kara Danvers, like Kat's assistant or like pilot Kara Danvers, but it was an interesting contrast. But Zorel asks Kara right after she's scratched by the Phantom, Kara, are you all right? And she says, no, nothing is, which is a contrast with... <laughs> everything that she has been saying up to that point. It's also a really nice contrast to kind of go back to the fact that they've been doing these really well thought out kind of dual storylines for Kara and Alex, even though they're separated. You have a similar beat of Alex with her father figure in this episode <laughs> with Jean, where she gets scratched by the Phantom and he asks her if she's OK. And she says yes, which is <laughs> a lie. 
Which is a lie. Yeah. But Kara here for the first time is genuinely vulnerable with Sorel and she says, No, I'm not fine. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been making a couple of comparisons to the movie Inside Out. Mm. It's worked nicely for all this psychological stuff that's happened this season. <laughs> it really has, yeah. And the emotions at play. But this with Kara and her dad and Kara finally saying that she isn't doing great. It reminds me of the scene in Inside Out when young Riley is telling her parents that she's sad, which she had been not telling her parents before in order to like sort of take care of them in a way. But doing that for this character in Inside Out made things better. And and the message there was that like <laughs> expressing sadness and letting yourself feel it is good because then you can be comforted and you can process it. Mm, yeah. And it can be mixed with happy emotions, you know. And here we see Kara actually comforted by her father. He says to her, do you believe me, Kara? Because I believe in you, which we've talked about Kara needing Alex's faith in her, especially in the encouragement episode. And here we see Zorel get to give it to Kara, which is just interesting because Alex and Jean were fighting in this episode about like who <laughs> got to yeah. be the touchstone for Kara to ground her to reality. But Zorel is that person for Kara in this episode. And Kara and Alex, for these past few episodes, have had these interestingly intertwined storylines, despite being separated. We've talked about the parallels, particularly in the Lost Sisters episode. And here we see that Alex and Kara, as people, are both willing to like give up every other part of their lives for the thing that they believe in, including like literally just the fact that they are alive, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and and that's the thing that the show believes makes them heroes. And as much as their beliefs can hurt them sometimes, like Alex fearing that her role as Kara's protector means that she's not allowed to be happy. Yeah. Kara fearing that her role as this figure of hope and the person that has to make sure that the things that they hope for happen means that she'll never have a normal life. Here, the show argues that the worst thing, the more frightening idea for both of them is that those roles are actually pointless or harmful even. Mm. Yeah. But by the end of the episode, the sisters kind of give each other a reason to believe in those roles and be sure in their beliefs that they've held. Kyler did an interview for this episode about the Danver sisters reunion scene where she mentioned that the actresses Kyler and Melissa hadn't actually seen each other or worked in a scene together since last year. Yeah. <laughs> but she says about Alex that she was able to be for her sister what she always aimed to be. So it's pretty special. And for Kara, Alex gets to be again that person who's in her corner and gives her the strength to be this hopeful figure Along with Zorel, Kara in season one said about the like Allura hologram that if she could see her mom again, she would ask for a hug. Alex has always been this person who is the one who is giving the hugs. <laughs> and in this episode, Kara finally gets Alex back and immediately goes in for that hug, kind of in a way that reminds me of when she first saw her mom. Mm, yeah. In season three. Minus the devastated emotion face. <laughs> well. Well, in a different way. In a different way. <laughs> so that was Alex and Kara. Now let's turn to a one Miss Kelly Olson. Your new favorite person. My new favorite person. Yes. Um, and let's be honest, yours too. She's getting there. She's getting pretty she's close get, up she's there. She's kidding. Not going to lie. 
Kelly had a lot of interesting things going on in terms of fear and trauma in this episode. Yes. As we know, Kelly's fiance died in action in the army, and we've seen her struggle with like her loved ones being in danger, particularly Alex in season five. Mm-hmm. And this season, in episode three, Kelly was unable to personally like prevent a phantom from attacking McGon, and it ended up just like hurting her hands and Jean had to push the phantom away with his new fancy mind powers. And then Kelly felt terrible about that and felt like useless, like she wasn't able to help anyone. In this episode, we see Kelly actively grappling with this before the fear visions. And like right when the flash happens, there was an interesting small moment where she gets anxious like about the flash and then has this moment where she like sighs in relief, like everything's okay. Nothing like fell apart at her station. And it was a really nice private moment Mm, with Kelly where it wasn't really dramatic, like, oh, Kelly's having like a fear response situation, but more so like someone who has trauma and also is in a stressful situation just dealing with it and and Mm, coping with it as best as she could in a way that felt real (laughs) but in a broader sense in this episode kelly is struggling with feeling like she can't contribute in keeping her loved ones safe in a meaningful way like she downplays her contributions and then in her fear vision, the possessed phantom squad <laughs> yeah. says to her in unison that she is weak, human, and we are heroes with unparalleled intellects, incredible strength, you know, contrasting with Kelly in her fear mind. But we also see Kelly fight these fears because of the love that she has and the wish to protect her loved ones. Even before the fear vision, when Alex is like, you didn't sign up for this, this is really dangerous, Kelly's like, for Kara, for you, I'll do anything. And, you know, the moment in her fear vision where she decides to act and and makes a decision is when the phantom is about to strike possessed Alex. And then Kelly immediately says, I may not be able to fight you, but I can protect them. Yeah. You know, and it paused right at that moment before we saw the conclusion of her Mm -hmm. fear vision where she conquers it. And I was trying to figure out at first why it stopped there. But it was specifically that it was going to harm her friends, but Alex first. And Mm. that was kind of where things flipped for her. Right. And then two things with that, like, number one, we got the coolest tease of the Guardian (laughs) storyline that's coming up. Because Kelly grabs something as a shield, which, you know, you do for any superhero (laughs) that's going to have a weapon that's a shield. Mm. But more to the point, I enjoyed the fact that it was shaped like the House of L crest, Mm. just for the way that the show has been using symbolism of all the different cultures to tell you things about the relationships to characters and who thinks of themselves as part of the family and who doesn't. So that was really cool. And also visually, it was just a cool stunt. It was, yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, nice. Nice. That was like a good hero moment. It was really nice. Her face after she did it, where she was like surprised <laughs> and, and happy about what she had done. Yeah. I was like, that's us. That's our face. <laughs> that's that everyone. Did. Yeah. The other thing that I really liked, and it's kind of why we talked about the characters in this flow, was that in both Kelly's Fear Vision and Alex's, The one thing that was not ever a question 
was mm-hmm. their confidence in each other's support, mm-hmm. which was really awesome. <laughs> like it was just another one of those like really subtle, but like really good relationship building things that they've done with those two yeah. this season. And specifically within Kelly's, like she assumed, you know, for all that this was some weird scenario, <laughs> she did not necessarily question that she would be able to get through to Alex. And she did. <laughs> Even though this was like a deepest fear. So like she's not afraid of them ever being like out of sync, which is fascinating. And especially it was really, really nice to see that knowing that they both came into this relationship with their own baggage about Hmm. past significant others and things like that. And, you know, in Alex's, she's like, I will trust that you will take care of my sister. Hmm. And (laughs) in Kelly's, she's like, I will trust that you will hear me. And, Hmm. you know, come back to yourself. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, Kelly talks about in that scene is how the thing that she was drawn to with Alex was like her protective nature (laughs) and and that fiery spirit. It's something that they share. Yeah. And then even within Kelly's like fear driven scenario, Alex is still being herself entirely and is like, Mm -hmm. I am not going to be able to resist this forever, but I will buy you as much time as I can. Like, (laughs) (laughs) which is also what happened in Alex's fear vision. (laughs) (laughs) So those two know each other pretty well. <laughs> like, <laughs> Honestly, because Alex and her fear vision is like about to send herself out into space in order to protect her loved ones, including Kelly. And then in Kelly's vision, Alex is trying to send Kelly off yeah, <laughs> away to get from away. her to protect yeah. her. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going into space. <laughs> they all want to have that good Kryptonian experience. <laughs> uh, except for maybe Lena, who <laughs> has some fear of aliens. Would yeah, that was very subtly thrown in there, but I mm. liked that it was there. Right, <laughs> same. So let's go to Lena, yeah. who has had some progress in this episode. Yeah, visibly shown. Her fear, as we've talked about before, is like she deserves to be alone because she's a bad person, <laughs> and that stems from that she didn't save her mom. And she's a know, bad as person, as a four-year-old, <laughs> because as a toddler, she did not rescue her mother right from drowning. Yes, <laughs> and in this episode, we see Lena go to like solve this ship problem alone, which is, you know, in keeping with Lena's past behavior, not in terms of it being this horrible thing. Yeah. She went to check the leak. Well, but and specifically, it's one of the things that we've talked about as a weakness of her as a scientist and an engineer. She doesn't Mm. collaborate usually. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not that big of a deal, but it is notable compared to the other characters who were mostly paired off. Mm. But, you know, she goes off alone. And when she comes back, she discovers that 90% of her friends are dead. But, you know, eventually when she is getting some hints that things are not normal in terms of reality, given the giant water monster (laughs) on a spaceship, (laughs) she goes through a list of things that are real, trying to implement Kelly's advice. And she does the sort of normal tactile representations of reality. Yeah. But then the final thing that she lands on as something that's real are her friends, which is not something that she's always believed. (laughs) No. (laughs) And, you know, we see Lena overcome her dream ultimately by the end of the episode 
by reaching out and touching this like alien <laughs> water thing, who then turns into the attachment figure that she lost. And we've talked about attachment before in terms of like what that does to you as a person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and here we see her risk like danger and risk mm, the, the yeah. threat of like what it means to connect with another being <laughs> in order to see the benefit of that connection. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that was kind of interesting with the way people either recognized or overcame the fears is we only saw two people who genuinely recognized that it wasn't necessarily like reality. And mm -hmm. that was Lena. We saw very concretely. And then Brainy also figured it out. But part of it was that their fear that they were dealing with was more removed from the immediate problem that they were trying to solve, which is rescuing Kara in the Phantom Zone. Lena, for her, what clicks it is she's like, this is like my nightmares. And she's like, yeah, that's a really specific thing that has nothing to do with anyone else. So and that's a part of the demonstration of growth for her, because we did see in the reality pieces of this episode She's really trying to think of herself as an extension of a group and integrate mm. into a group as opposed to being in isolation. Like she mentions, you know, she builds on Alex's design of the sun grenades. In everybody else's fear visions, she is collaborating with people. Like she goes with Nia in Kelly's down to mm. the thing. And so for her, this recognition that it's like a very specific fear that she's had since she was a child she's like wait a minute <laughs> that doesn't make sense and brainy similarly is so divorced from the reality of their situation that he's also able to figure it out mm -hmm. but it's also kind of cool to see both lena and brainy as these characters who've been kind of struggling with emotion things mm. and with their interpersonal skills number one really trying explicitly to apply kelly's advice mm -hmm. as a peer and also as someone who has expertise in this thing that maybe they don't. And it also is a really nice reminder of that connection that they've established from the last couple seasons of Brainy and Lena as having this kind of kinship in some ways, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Which takes us to a question we got from Tumblr user Always and Anyways about Brainy. I would actually love for you to unpack Brainy's fear of balloons. Silly and or serious takes welcome. I have a serious take because, of course, I do. <laughs> uh, we know this and we love you. Good, good. <laughs> Brainy says about his fear of balloons that they are thin sheets of rubber holding in all that pressure, not knowing when to pop. Balloons, Jean, they must be stopped. <laughs> and for Brainy, I posit that Brainy is the balloon and the pressure is his emotions or in a broader sense, even maybe his personality. And they're kind of analogous to the little boxes in terms of feeling this great, like crushing weight of his internal world <laughs> and an overpowering sense and not knowing what to do with that energy. Yeah. And I agree with you on that. Also, because Jesse did this really cool thing with his voice again, he, he does this a lot and it's awesome, where as he's getting progressively more agitated by the balloons he's talking more like evil reset brainy mm. from season four where his inhibitors were messed up mm. that's fun yes the other thing that i will say is his fear of balloons is valid <laughs> <laughs> but 
Specifically also just because there's the unpredictability of it, which we know is what he doesn't like about emotions because they are messy and hard to understand and control. Mm. And they can run away from you, much like, you know, a balloon with helium. If you let it go too soon, it's gone. Right. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it was a silly thing just in that it was a beat of levity in an episode that was really intense for most of the episode. Mm -hmm. But it did also still work on a character level for Brainy. Yeah. Wasn't random. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't as totally out there silly as maybe it seemed. Yes. And then to (laughs) go back to sadness. Diverge (laughs) away from silly. We have poor Nia in this episode. Nia. Speaking of people who need a hug. Yeah. (laughs) Nia, in keeping with her status as one of the like newest heroes of the group, her fears have been very much on the surface. Like, it's not a surprise when it's revealed in this episode that her fear is that she couldn't stop something bad from happening with the power of her dreams. Because that is something that she has been struggling with actively for several episodes for a couple seasons. And we see in the dream, Brainy say, you dreamt this, help me stop it. Kind of putting the blame almost on Nia or the responsibility. India has this responsibility and this guilt with connection to when she does not sufficiently (laughs) interpret her dreams. And Nia, unlike the other characters, hasn't really had time to build up like a strong foundation of like belief to cling to. Mm, Yeah. Like friendship as like a concept or like self-sacrifice as a go-to move (laughs) for some of the characters or hope, obviously, with Kara. Yeah, Nia is hitting this point now in her hero's journey that Kara very easily could have hit a wall in a similar way. In season one, if she hadn't had Alex's just unwavering vote of confidence in her as Supergirl and in her ability Mm. to make good decisions and to help people. And some of that, as they've been alluding to a little bit, is because that conflict that's been left open with Nia and her sister is unresolved. And Mm -hmm. she's lost her mom already. She knows her sister's the one left who could really help her. In addition to the fact, you know, that she just misses that companionship, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that her sister really hurt her. The other thing, though, that Nia's fear vision reveals to us is that she's not really confident that anybody believes in her because she doesn't question the fact that Brainy is being kind of accusatory and skeptical of her in a way that he was not at all in reality. And in fact, you know, he gave her a lot of credit for pulling things back together Mm -hmm. with some of the time travel and stopping Kat. Yeah. Which makes sense in terms of Nia and her doubts last season with Brainy, especially because, you know, he broke up with her and didn't quite explain why. And the sense that the things that they had shared together were not real. And then that Nia as a person doesn't get to have that in her life. (laughs) So, yeah. So it makes sense to see here in this fear vision that manifest, even though we just saw Brainy act completely differently. Yeah. And so with that in mind, this was them laying the groundwork for what's going to be her hero arc for the Mm -hmm. rest of the series. Kind of like they also laid the groundwork in this episode for Kelly's. Yeah. As the newest members of the hero squad. (laughs) Yeah. But for this episode, Nia is the one character who basically succumbs to her fear and, and doesn't find a way to like win 
or save Brainy in the vision. And, you know, she breaks down in her dream when that happens. And then when she's brought to reality, she still looks like she's like there mentally. That's the emotional place that she's still in. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how she copes with that Mm. and how it's addressed going forward. Yeah. Especially because that'll be a nice place to round out that mentoring storyline with Nia and Kara. Because Kara's always played something of a role in bringing out Nia's more heroic qualities and helping her build her confidence in herself, both as dreamer and as a journalist. So Mm. I'm looking forward to seeing kind of where they go from here, especially because we don't know how different Kara's going to be in terms of her perspective (laughs) on certain things. So Right. Yeah. And that takes us to our final (laughs) Super Friends member. The one and only Space Ted. Yes. <laughs> or Captain Space Ted. <laughs> yeah. In this episode, which was delightful. He faces his fear in this episode, despite not having like a literal fear vision. Mm. Yeah. In the fact that everyone that he loves, apart from Magan, who is not present, is like almost about to die. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Jean, in contrast with the other characters in this episode who were acting pretty confidently at the start and then <laughs> things got more stressful going forward. He starts out the episode acting out of fear. Specifically, he won't let Alex join him to go out and fetch Kara, even though it is like tactically wise. I and Alex would argue. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Even Cycles agrees. That's that's important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that Jean is the one who's being overcautious at the start, number one, because he kind of always is, mm. because he's always been the team leader for the most part. But it was a nice return to form to see him and Alex arguing over that, because that was something they'd argued about all the time in early <laughs> episodes of the show. <laughs> but specifically here... Alex is making the case that it would make the most sense for her to go if they want to get Kara to trust that it's real. (laughs) And Sean totally knows that Alex has a point because he's like, well, I can shapeshift into you. And Alex is like, Dad, we've had this conversation before. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, she's thinking it. But specifically, she told him to stop doing that <laughs> several years ago now. It's a hard habit to kick. It is, but it's funny because Alex really sticks to her guns and is like, no, that is not the right choice. And Melissa, through her acting choice at the end, subtly validates that, which was such a nice read of the script and also a directing choice to emphasize it. Because when Kara comes on board the ship, the first thing she does is run straight to Alex. But there's this beautiful hold of the camera on her face and she just gives the tiniest little nod to herself like, yes, this is real, before she really like fully leans into it and just accepts the hug. And that really hammered home Alex's point that like if Sean had <laughs> pretended to be her that would have messed up the whole thing uh, <laughs> yeah it's especially ironic given that like Kara went with Jean to find his father in season three and Marin specifically thought the whole thing was a trick mm, that's a nice comparison <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but for Jean he you know starts out like being very cautious 
But then the thing that he fears most is happening. Yeah. And he's awash with these visions of all his loved ones, like on the ship and Kara, their fears and seeing them in danger. And he like almost succumbs in terms of like he is lowering to the ground from the force of it. But then I thought it was interesting. He sees Kara and and her experience and Kara saying they're all going to die. And then Jean, you know, gets up. And it reminded me of the line he had said moments earlier when Briny says, there's still a chance that the Phantom could overpower you. And he says, not when I have this much to fight for. Mm, yeah. And that being a moment with Kara saying they're all going to die, reminding him what he's fighting to prevent <laughs> from happening. Yeah. It's funny because this is Kara at her most hopeless and she's still inspiring Sean to save everyone. <laughs> That's a nice point. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> And Jean says to the Phantom, I'll show you what it's like to be afraid. And here Jean basically uses the like dark or painful parts of himself, which stem from like that trauma of losing his family and then the thing that makes him fear mm -hmm. as much as he does yeah, to protect his family. And, you know, that's notable because we talked about Jean's biggest fear being that he is a monster like on the inside mm. and here those sort of quote-unquote like negative or like unhappy elements of who he is are a benefit to him and his loved ones and it was nice to see also his like <laughs> superpower as it were mm. stem from his mental fortitude yes and the other thing i really liked about the message of that Specifically, also in combination with the idea that seeing what Kara was afraid of was enough of a mm. motivation for him to kind of keep going, was the idea that the show is presenting that you can't wall those bad feelings off. Mm. Kind of like the point of Inside Out. <laughs> you have to be a wholly integrated person and put the difficult parts into context. Not saying like you should want to live through difficult things, but recognize, you know, everything is a part of you and it makes you who you are. Mm -hmm. Yes. And keep going from there. Yeah. And that was great also with regard to David directing. Mm. who is a mental health advocate in the UK and had that Psychosis in Me documentary based on his personal experiences. Yeah. So it's awesome to see Jean as a character with David's direction and acting yeah. represent something with such a hopeful message with regard to mental struggles. Yeah, it was really nicely done in that regard. It was kind of exactly what I wanted for an enemy like that oh, right yeah because the solution was they all had to recognize each other in some way <laughs> and that the solution was to not do things in isolation <laughs> you might say hashtag stronger together. stronger together yeah <laughs> so that wraps up our topic -y thoughts with regard to fear as always we have some general observations about the episode my biggest takeaway is a reminder that I love sci-fi. <laughs> this episode was filled with lots of sci-fi elements. And, yeah. and the thing that jumps out to me because of my particular taste was the spaceship crew element, yeah. which was evocative of Star Trek. And the writer Jay Holfam is a big Star Trek fan. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, there were a lot of not only sci-fi nods in this episode, but specifically like original recipe sci-fi like from the <laughs> 70s. 
specifically the Alien film franchise, which centered mm. around like people being picked off one by one by this alien. And there was an escape pod that could only take one person, <laughs> which I guess is just a common sci-fi trope. <laughs> since it seems to happen so frequently in this show, Supergirl. Uh, <laughs> but then there were also some people who said that the Kelpie looked like the creature from the Abyss a little bit because of the CGI. And then the other reference that they made very explicit early on in the episode, which was good because I think a lot of the audience probably wasn't too tuned into sci-fi from the 1970s, was the, the reference and the explanation of the Harry Potter, the Dementor, and the Boggart, which are two things that play on fear, and explaining how the phantom powers worked in that way. A little bit more fantasy than sci-fi. Yeah, that's a little bit more of a fantasy thing, but it's also something that I think is a little more present to a lot of the audience in terms of understanding it, because there's mm -hmm. the book series and the movies. But also, the way that the phantom visions were ultimately defeated was very similar to what happens in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Number one, one of the strategies of getting rid of the Boggart is to turn it into something else you're not afraid of, which mm. we saw several of the characters do that by taking yeah. control over what was happening. They maybe didn't necessarily recognize that it wasn't real, but they changed it into something where they were in control of it. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing that was very similar too was that Jean's strategy at the end is something that comes up in the third book, I think, but not necessarily the movie, which is that the more people who are contributing their own feelings to the fear vision, the more confused the creature will become and the less concrete and sensory mm. the feelings will be. And then you can get rid of them. And so that's actually what he did to help everyone kind of be able to get out of it. So that was cool. Yeah. And in terms of other story elements that were evocative of this sci-fi fantasy theme <laughs> running throughout the episode, there's a sense of like a mission on the ship. Yeah. And they're involved with that was a lot of exposition. Mm, yeah. But I think it was well done in the sense that it wasn't like a slog like exposition can be like, all right, we get it. You're telling us what we have to know for the episode to work. It felt like we were learning the rules of a game almost, mm. especially because there was a bit of a challenge woven into the episode of like trying to figure out who is having a fear vision when. And I thought, too, it reminded me a little bit of all the characters when they were playing NPC versions of themselves in the virtual reality last year a little bit, especially mm -hmm. because David talked about this on Twitter. He did a little bit of Q&A after the episode saying that it was tricky to do the repetitive piece over mm. and over and, and keep it both the same and interesting. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, along those lines of it feeling like a game or like a, a setup for like a strategic board game, <laughs> the episode really well sets up like all the elements that are at play and hints that like, oh, these will show up later as important things. But, you know, most of them don't show up the way that you might expect them to. Mm, yeah. Obviously, we have the element of the phantom visions, and that's sort of subverted when it flows so seamlessly from the normal episode into a vision with Alex, as opposed to like being overcome with some horrible out of context vision. And then we have the coping strategies, which appear only with Brainy and Lena, but are also relevant to the character work, but not necessarily like the key for fixing everything. 
We have the touchstones, which Alex and Jean argue over, which is an important element of the storyline, but we don't see one of them actually do it, you know? We have instead Zorel play that role. We have the power meter for the shields and the different ways that that was played upon. We have the clock and mm. we have the one shot like sun bomb. And we also have this element of the characters, different roles that they play on the ship. Like Nia is like kind of like a lookout. Jean is, as we've talked about, the captain, which I thought was interesting in terms of, I think, Jean, Alex and Kara play different leadership roles in the group. And Jean as the captain was an interesting mm. and, and I think correct choice. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was his ship. It was his ship. That's true. You raise a valid point. <laughs> but the episode did a really good job of setting up everything we needed to know in a fun way and then not just giving it to us in the way that we expect. <laughs> yeah. And then one other thing before we kind of close out, wanted to come back to Nia and her dream that she has within her fear vision, which like talk about confusing <laughs> for her. One of the things that we see her struggling with is this idea that she's getting lost in not understanding all the metaphors mm. for a symbol in a dream, even when there are still immediate kind of literal interpretations that she can use as a starting point And that, as we've talked about before, in many cases are actually as straightforward as they seem and relevant to what is happening. <laughs> so, for example, she finds this thimble instead of the phantom in the little cell. And it has a picture of the tower, which we know now is like the ship. And there's literally like a crack in it. <laughs> mm. And if you know what a thimble's purpose is, it's meant to protect your finger from getting stabbed when you're sewing. So mm. the implication there being something is a danger to the ship. And in this case, a thimble shields your finger. The shield of the ship has something wrong with it or is going to have something wrong with it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which that dream is actually interesting because I think you can interpret it was a... Real. <laughs> yeah. Because it could also function as a real prophecy dream that Nia was getting apart from the fear vision in terms of like this possible meaning Brainy talks about the phantom affecting the different characters and making them have the fear visions. And he says, right now it's just enough for its power to leak out and affect our teammates, which for me was quite similar to the like light leaking out from the crack in the thimble mm, on the tower. Yeah. Especially because that white bright light is what we see flash every time somebody goes into the fear vision. Yeah. So that was not necessarily something that Nia would be able to glean, but was an interesting dual function there. Yes. And then there were a couple other kind of fun metaphorical meanings for that thimble, which I got them from the Internet. So take with a grain of salt, but they were still <laughs> kind of fun. She held a very traditional metal thimble, and so those can symbolize unresolved anger with a person that you care about. And we know that she's still got this conflict with her sister mm -hmm. on her mind, so that was interesting. And then also a silver thimble specifically can signify a happy romantic relationship. And the fact that there was the crack in the thimble... And then Brainy was put in danger, mm. adds like another nice little layer to it. Yeah. Which was kind of fun. That's fun. See, we could mm -hmm. do, we could help you, Nia. <laughs> we'll just be Nia's dream consultants. Yeah, we have all the answers <laughs> from the internet. That's fine. So that wraps up our episode for Fear Not. 
we have no episode next week. <laughs> we've got we've got quite a wait for the official, you know, companion episodes for Supergirl. Yes, yeah, so episode 8 will be returning on August 24th, which is several months from now. Hmm. And that one is going to be called Welcome Home Kara, which as you will recall, Alex wrote on her little celebratory <sighs> card and then mm-hmm. was emotionally devastated because they didn't get Kara back. So while the teaser for that episode looks Mm. really upbeat, I am expecting it to be kind of where this show's strength lies and be a little more bittersweet. So we'll see. (laughs) Yes, I would enjoy that. (laughs) Obviously, we're going to have some episodes over the hiatus. So stay tuned in a couple weeks. And if you want to send us any questions, discussion, topic, prompts, general thoughts and feedback feel free to send those to us at Supergirls Attic on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram. And thanks for listening.